Welcome to Space Nerds, your source for intergalactic science fiction and science facts. Engines primed, engage! I'm Andy. I'm Sarah. I'm Doug. And I'm Jesse. And we are the Space Nerds Star Trek Club. Yeah! Star Trek! We're meeting every week to talk about season one of Star Trek Discovery. Woo! Get ready for Star Trek Club! To share your thoughts on Star Trek Discovery, email us at spacenerdspodcast at gmail.com. We are Space Nerds! Okay, ladies. We're rolling. Hit me with your oh. best song. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, song. Did, I for, yeah. What did we do today? Can we have a song about a tardigrade? A giant killer tardigrade song oh yeah okay when you said hey uh okay ladies it made me think like what if it was like a sexy tardigrade song <laughs> like <laughs> hey ladies <laughs> this is the tardigrade <laughs> i like to eat spores <laughs> <laughs> I look scary and big, but I'm actually tame as hell. Motherfucker, and then I'll dislocate your jaw. All right, welcome back to Star Trek Club. This episode of Discovery is called, I had to write this down, The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. What the heck is that? <laughs> is that a quote? I don't know. It's it's not. I Not as far as hmm. I can tell. Did you look I it up? Look, yeah, because I was curious like what it came from. Um, yeah. And it, same what was the uh, context is for Kings also is not a specific quote, just something uh-huh. that... Yeah, Context is for Kings is a quote from the actual episode. Right, 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 but right. at no point did Michael Burnham say to anyone else, the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. Yeah, it's very uh, TOS style. Yes, totally. Uh, I was yeah. just going to say that. Yeah. It's one of these weird things like, uh, it's really echoey where I am, sorry. Oh, you sound um, Okay. Yeah. In, in, when it, when... Lots of people did not like Discovery, and that's fine. They can they can have their opinions. But one of the critiques was like, oh, my God, they're so pretentious with the episode titles, which is true, mm-hmm. but it's also in line with what Star Trek had been originally. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that never bothered me. I actually kind of like that because, yeah. like, this, like, heightened language Shakespearean title of an episode goes all the way back to the original series. And it happened yeah. on Next Generation. It's... You know, yeah. Babylon Five does a really good job of that as well. <laughs> These very like you know ridiculous titles. Yeah. Well, this episode is interesting. I I don't hate this episode. Hmm. There's parts of it that I think are very silly, but there's parts that I really like. Uh huh. Um, this episode, I don't know. It's it's like a minute by minute experience in this episode <laughs> because like, but like yeah, I kind of like that, and then something happened. I'm like, what 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 does that even mean? Like that makes no <laughs> sense. And then something else will happen. I'm like, oh, wow, that was really exciting and interesting. And then something else will happen. I'm like, oh, my God, are you seriously doing that? Because that is really annoying me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's this episode experience for me. Um, but I mean, I'm excited to get into it because there is a lot about it that I really do like. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about, too. I, I feel like, and this is something we've kind of discussed in the previous two episodes, but um, or in the previous one episode that was split into, but... 
Or no, have we? Is this our fourth? <laughs> this is our fourth. Oh my God. See, yeah. look at that. Anyway, in the previous episodes, um, that there's something about the language in this show, and, and I'm not complaining about any heightened language, but it's more like I'm I'm having I'm still having a little bit of a hard time, even though this is my second go around understanding everything that's being said um, to to a degree that I feel distracted by it because I, <laughs> I'm just unsure if I'm missing anything important. Um, and like one specific thing <clears throat> kind of to go back to the Klingon and the subtitles is that I am not a very fast reader. Yeah. I'm actually a pretty slow reader. And what I noticed in terms of the cadence of Klingon is that like some phrase, some three word phrase or whatever will be up on the screen for a pretty good amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there'll be a big chunk of dialogue that just flashes for a second and I don't <laughs> get to the end of it before we've moved to the next thing. Mm-hmm. So there's something about the cadence of Klingon that for my reading pace is I'm challenged. <laughs> um, and that just might just be, you know, I'm a really slow reader. But That's a real I, critique. I, I agree episode. with you. Yeah, I agree too. And the first I had time, to several times rewind it to, yeah. to catch <laughs> what was going on. Sure. And I really think part of it is uh, it's a, it's a shortcoming of the stylistic choice to have the Klingon be subtitled in that like weird Klingon font hmm. uh, and not using something more traditional, like, you know, black background, white text, simple text to hmm. read. It's just like, here's giant Klingon text. And it's just, <laughs> Yeah. It takes my brain a second. I, you know, <laughs> charitably, I'm marveling at the beauty of the written word itself, and then mm-hmm. they're already on to the next thing. Right, right. Yeah, and it really does, f- like, some long phrases just flash on screen for a second, and mm-hmm. there's just not enough time to read it. I remember the first time watching this episode, I missed a lot of what they're saying. And you're a very fast reader. Yeah, this time I was able to follow it, and I think part of why I was able to follow it is because I knew what the fuck was happening because I've seen this before. Sure. Like the first time I watched this episode, everything with Voke and Laurel, I was like, what are they talking about? I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And now this was really interesting for me, like knowing Voke and Laurel's story and where it's going to go. I understood what was happening in this episode for the first time ever. And (laughs) it, it was like setting up, like a massive part of the story that I just did yeah. not understand the first time because it made yeah. it just didn't make sense to me the first time. I still with, feel like it barely makes sense, but at least I understood right. what I think they wanted with, me to understand. Without getting into spoilers, but knowing that there's spoilers that happen, mm-hmm. this episode does have more interesting things on the second rewatch. For sure. Stuff mm-hmm. that stuff that would have flown by, I think, uh first time through. Yeah, mm-hmm. this one I this is the first one that I liked more on the second viewing. Mm-hmm. Whereas the first two I loved on the first mm-hmm. viewing, loved them again. The episode three I thought was weird but okay on the first viewing and the second viewing I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> but now I'm like, okay, this like they did set up some things that I thought came out of nowhere. It's just they set them up in such a way that a first-time viewer is probably not going to understand anything, which leads right. me to ask Sarah. I know. Did I was going to say, like, <laughs> that makes me... Viewer. Our first-time viewer here. Right. It makes me feel better hearing you say that the first time you all saw this, you were also confused. Yeah. Because I definitely was like... And I, Andy, I told, I feel like you took the words out of my brain of like, for some reason, whether it's Klingon or just people talking on the ship, like the, (laughs) the, the style of the show is just really hard to grasp what's happening. Like (laughs) at any given time, like, and especially Michael, like, I feel like the way, and maybe it's just like the Vulcan in her, but like maybe in like, so it's kind of monotone and then like sometimes has emotion, but Mm -hmm. then I'm just like, I don't even I don't 
understand why I should care about what you're saying. And I feel like, and I feel bad to say it that way, but a lot of things people say, I'm like, okay, but I don't, it all sounds the same. So I don't know why I should care or what I need to care about and what I don't need to care about. So then I'm just overloading because it's like, I can't differentiate these little moments of more importance or like not, but it sounds like nobody really got it the first time they (laughs) saw it. And I'm like, I think I got the like overarching, overarching, overarching storyline, but like I'm still just kind of like, okay, well that happened, mm. great, <laughs> like, yeah. cool, okay. <laughs> I, what you're saying is so important to me personally. Like when I watch something or experience something that someone else has made creatively, I feel like it is the responsibility of the creator to try to like shepherd you through their creation and kind of point out to you what's important and mm-hmm. what you need to pay attention to. Like we yeah. just watched uh, The Lion King the other night, the new Disney live action Lion King. And that movie is really well made. And actually I, I have a lot to say about it. Andy and I were talking <laughs> about doing a patron cast about this another time. But what I will say is that like the audio mixing and the um, performance choices with the vocal performances and the way that everything was animated and the framing of the shots, you know where to look, you know what's important, you can follow the story mm-hmm. and they can tell you like a complex emotional story and like even kind of um, heighten the original complexity of The Lion King, which is a pretty simple story, but I feel like the new movie kind of tried to add in some new um, complexities to it. Like, Timon in the new movie was fantastic. But anyway, all this to be said, um, and I just, that got me thinking about, like, John Favreau directed that. He's a big part of The Mandalorian. I always felt like I knew what was happening when I watched The Mandalorian, and I knew what was important. Hmm. And in Discovery, it feels, like a, it feels like the creators just kind of threw all of their ideas up on, like, a, like if this... Let's imagine that, like, emotional... Um, storytelling is like peaks and valleys. This just feels like it's all just one giant peak. You know, there's like no differentiation in volume or in um, like, like if it was a song, it would all be super loud. There would be no quiet moments. Um, That's what this show feels like to me. And that's just like in a bunch of different ways. And one of them is like visually too. There's just so much happening Mm. visually that it's hard to say like, what am I focusing on? Um, And yeah, like the pacing is very disjointed. Yeah. 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 So it's a very like, it's a very strange experience to take in the first time, and the second time it starts yeah. to make more sense. I'm like, okay, now I understand what the shape of this story is. Now I see that this was plot development when I thought it was just like random nonsense. Now I see that this thing that seems to be super important never comes back again, and I can forget about that. Right. Um, so yeah, it's very bizarre. It's. I, very I think this is. I again, spoiler alert. Do still like Discovery? Sure. I think what I think they made a bad choice with the show. It, to me, the show comes across if you had showrunners and you described to them what Game of Thrones was like and why it was popular. Yeah, and then they're like, "Let's do Star Trek like that." You That's know? literally sure. exactly what the writers of this season said. Oh, the two no, no, that were fired. I, I, yeah, yeah, and I know, and I know that they say they, and I know in reality they've actually watched Game of Thrones, but I feel yeah. like they're mm. missing some elements of it. And you talking about the pacing, I think really strikes me because it's not just normally we talk about pacing and it kind of means one thing because Mm -hmm. that's means that it was made with, I think a cohesive thought behind it. Mm -hmm. Discovery has like four different pacing sometimes where like the narrative story is, is fine. The action is non-existent or paced very jarringly. Like this one, there's like a snippet of pretend action, then a snippet of real action and that's it. But then the emotional pacing 
is at 11 most of the time. Yeah. You know, it's that's what seems very disjointed to me where I'd rather it kind of either follow a single pace or I think of it as almost like interlocking waves of like the action and the narration and the emotion complementing each other. And, and that, and that works. This is just, it's just all over the map. And I also think that that one of the takeaways that they misinterpreted from game of Thrones, two of them, one is like, you have to have surprises all the time. (laughs) They're really into wanting to have something like, here's a twist out of nowhere. Um, and I also think that they lean too hard on Discovery being a bingeable, rewatchable binge show, mm. which is new. You know, that's the streaming world, but that's not what Star Trek had ever been before. And mm. this structurally, as their first attempt at it, I don't think really they're able to pull it off. And that's individually, the episodes tend to. Like you say, Jesse, it's like it's some of them can stand out as being glaringly bad, and other ones can hold up better when you rewatch it because that's kind of what it seems like they were going for. It's totally. like that's fine. You're not going to like this the first time. The right. second time's through. This will all make sense. Yeah. And I think Picard specifically avoids that trap where they build and there's like a peeling back of an onion, but you still can kind of get it as you're going along. Yeah, and it's frustrating because there's a very easy way to make this story work so much better and that mm-hmm. is do this story in like a, a later season because what right. really bothers me about this is that like you meet the discovery at a time when it's acting in a really weird way like the whole ship yes. is like <laughs> going through this weird shit um, yeah. and you meet everyone when you have this like captain who is you know testing all of their starfleet resolve but we don't right. know these characters so we don't know what their starfleet resolve is like right and they don't do a good job of telling you who these characters are. Like, if we already knew these characters and then they were put in this situation, it would make so much more sense. Mm. One thing that really stands out for me on a rewatch of Discovery is how much there is a clear divide between some people and the captain and then other people on the crew. Mm. Where yeah. I don't know why, but my first watch through, I didn't really notice that or zero in on it that much and here it's like oh no there are like Lorca people and a lot more not Lorca people Mm. yes yeah totally and I you know they haven't gone into it yet but he hasn't been in command of this ship for that long so Mm -hmm. like that's such important information you know that this is a relatively new captain to this ship and the crew is still learning him Um, but all this being said there's some really cool shit in this episode like my favorite moment of this episode is when Lorca is conducting battle, you know, when he's yes. like, his hands are up in the air, like, like he is like John Williams conducting this battle. And it, it's really easy to miss, but like the battle tactic that they used was really interesting where they, they do a jump away from this location and leave bombs behind that, it, that blow up the whole rest of the Klingon fleet, oh. which is so easy to miss, I but is that. really interesting. Like, Yeah, let's talk about Wait, that. Wait, that happens at the end? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe, okay, and maybe some other people are on the same page with me about this, but when those refugees or... See, the the other thing is they didn't even explain who these people were or what their colony was. They were were miners. The princess in danger. They They were were mining. (laughs) uh, It's a dilithium mine, isn't it? I think that's what Uh, they said. Or dilithium planet. Well, they're basically mining what the starships run on. So 
Okay, well, that was unclear to me. Right, because they if you don't know what dilithium is, I'm pretty sure it was a dilithium mine. I might be wrong, yeah. but... I mean, the, the gist if you, is... If you, don't know what dilithium, if you don't know what dilithium is, it doesn't make any sense when they're like, oh my God, the dilithium mine, you know? I'm like, oh my yeah, God, no, not the dilithium mine, but like well, someone there's else... There's a couple of times where they'll means. just... They'll, as a throwaway, they'll be like, this will be the end of the war. And they yeah. don't really explain why or what that means. And or what what war? I don't think that's very clear. I, I do think <laughs> that they try to emphasize that, like, these are just people that have to be saved. Yeah, like, that was look, clear. These people who are yeah. humans are going to be... a little girl, and she's stuck with a bunch of other people. Yeah, and, and Andy said, what war? And that is such a good point, because this right. is a huge... <laughs> flaw in this season for me personally the is that, war like, they're currently in or they're, a they're war? at war against the klingons because of what happened in the I first know. episode well, that but, i understand but like we have no context and as i now know context is for kings we have no <laughs> context as to like what the klingons are doing in the oh, war because yeah, exactly. is this when you learned you weren't a king <laughs> the only klingons we see are or spend time with are Vulcan and Lorel, right. who are on a ship that has been abandoned for six months doing nothing which makes no sense because uh, if they're yeah. at war why would the klingons leave a, a ship behind that just needed like a new like a new little tiny piece to make it go again like we make things go why not you know <laughs> yeah i i'm that i also was just like so then they come out of the mine and they're looking up at the sky and they see a bunch of explosions and they're like that who little girl's like who us? saved us and it's yeah. like how do you know you're saved you're looking up in the sky at explosions like <laughs> how are you like oh that's clear to me that the good yeah. guys and the bad guys and the whatever you'd be like oh my god explosions in the sky yeah, we're all gonna die and why did you know? they come out anyway they yeah. leave behind a silver mushroom and then right <laughs> off into the distance <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was so unclear to yeah. me and the other thing i really speaking of vogue and um laurel i really didn't understand what was and again maybe my slow reading but i didn't understand what was going on with i know she pledged allegiance essentially to cove what's to kuvma no no vogue core Core. Core, thank you. That's the one. <laughs> We're gonna get there. They all set. They all have a K and an O. The but David Bowie Klingon. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on. I know she's of two different houses, and she mm-hmm. found a way to build a bridge or something between them. But then, who's the guy, and why was she bringing him that that thing with the blue stuff in it? And that was the piece that they took from the Shenzhou to fix their broken ship. And which ship was that that, that was broken? That was like Takuvma's ship from the first episodes. So what ship? And then were they were on? What ship were they on at the end? They of the were episode? on Takuvma's cloaking ship, and they go to the Federation ship that was in the first two episodes. Yeah, the okay. Shenzhou, which okay. has been floating in space for six months after, after the Battle <clears throat> of the Binary Stars. And that's where they abandon Voke at the end of the episode. And right. then Lorel comes to him. And says, I have this plan for you to carry out Takuvma's vision. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, all of this building of, like, putting together this Klingon situation in the first two episodes. Yeah. They then just kind of say, oh, well, we're now throwing that away. You know, like, that ship and, like, that crew, they no longer follow Voke. Voke's going to go do something else. Yeah, I guess what's unclear to me, and I think this is what you're getting at, Jesse, is that I really don't understand the Klingon side of the war. Like, I'm not not seeing what they're doing strategically. I have no idea what Mm -hmm. all the different houses, what their roles are in it right now. All I know is that that core guy got the ship going again. 
and then he banished Takuma to that other th- ship. Yeah. And the Rel is helping build a bridge again. Exactly. <laughs> so That's now. all correct. Well, if you want good news, none of it really matters whatsoever. <laughs> Which they is, don't. Yeah. Both good and bad news. They don't ever really give any attention for the rest of the season yeah. to mm-hmm. the intricacies of the Klingon houses, nor yeah. their part in the war. Okay. It barely matters beyond their Klingons and that they're at war Federation. That's about the only yeah. thing that's important. Oh, Sarah dropped out. Yeah. Did we lose Sarah? Uh Oh, Sarah, you there? I think she went away. Well, hold on. We got to find Sarah. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> she beamed out. Science fiction. Okay. Yes. We're back. We're having some technical issues, uh, keeping Sarah connected. So we're going to, we're going to try to get all her thoughts out in case we lose her again. So go, Sarah, go. <laughs> okay. Every thought I ever had in this episode. Yes. <laughs> um, that girl, Tilly, was there, and I tried to pay attention to her more because you guys talked about her a lot last time, but I still didn't really care. Or I didn't think <laughs> she was, like, as important yet. Maybe yeah. she'll get more important later, but I was like, you just talk a lot, <laughs> which is fine. People talk. Um, I liked that. I, I was was so mad that that chick got eaten by the, oh. the what's it called the tarik the torig tardigrade tardigrade yeah, yeah ripper ripper's good ripper i was like you are so dumb you did not need to die like, <laughs> to me, that was so pointless and like a waste of a character yeah <laughs> and like granted i get that they had to show that like it's only provoked by aggression, but I really didn't think she had to die. And then mm-hmm. it sad because it was another person of color yeah. who was like, God, yeah. Yep. I was like, totally. great. Which also a lot of those people of color were the ones who were like in the mines. And I was like, wait, why are all the people of color the ones who are like dying and being attacked? Yeah. But anyway, <sighs> um, yeah, but I did think once the, the ripper, we finally understood them. I was like, oh, you cute. Like, mm-hmm. that's especially adorable, kind mm-hmm. of, in a yeah. space, like, you know, worm way. <laughs> but, like, and then I guess I didn't understand. So, did the the Ripper help the jump? Yes. Yeah, we'll get into that. That's a whole can of mushrooms. Space worms. <laughs> right. Okay, so the Ripper and the jump. And then something about mushrooms. So, I was like, okay, well, does it just get really high? And then it's like... I know where to go, dude. Like, <laughs> like yeah. it'd be really cool. I would be mad at him. Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, the thing again, like, I completely agree with you, Andy, especially, like, with the Klingons. Like, I don't understand their side of the fight, mm-hmm. why their side is important, and why they don't like them. Like, I just, and maybe that's also, like, going back to, like, the whole history of, like, Klingons and, like, them, but I just don't even get, like, why they're there, like, what's the point of anything? I agree with you, there was no moment where it was, like, we must go to war to defend our people. Right. Because it's, like, wait, so why, when were we in war? Like, I'm completely with you. (laughs) Like, I'm assuming the war has something to do with the Klingons, but, like... No one's really, like, the Klingons aren't really even talking about fighting them. They're just trying to figure out who's in power yeah. overall. Right. So it seems like the Klingons aren't even really worried about it. <laughs> They're just like, we're trying to figure our shit out, and then, like, when we're ready, y'all will get destroyed. 
but we're figuring out. Because then, yeah, and then there was the chick, and it took me forever to realize she was a chick. And then I was like, oh, you're like a chick Klingon. And I was like, oh, you guys like, have Klingon love. But then she, like, betrayed you but to save you. And I was like, okay, I get, I totally understand this storyline. Are y'all going to come from the from the back and be like, surprise, I'm still here, and I'm taking over. So I guess that made sense. <laughs> uh, I actually honestly don't even remember how the, oh no the episode ended with the will yeah I uh, yeah I thought the will was really sweet and also like really sad because it's like I'm so proud of you but then I was like so is the will just like a message not saying you have to get something in a will but it was like all that pulling it off just to then be like I'm proud but I get that it means a lot to her but we didn't I guess I get it so there, I answered my own question. She, but, she, did, um, she, she gave her the telescope, the, yes, right? Yes, this ancient telescope that had been passed down in Giorgio's family. Whoa, I fully missed that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must yeah. have, like, looked down for a second or something, because I don't re- I didn't see that at all. Yeah. Um, great. Well, she got the telescope. Good for her. <laughs> um but yeah, at the end of the day, I'm just going to rate the episode too. I know there's more to talk about, but just in case you want to get it. I yeah, feel yeah. like, I think I'm going to just stay. I feel like I want to give this one a five and a half because I did think it was interesting and I did like the Ripper thing, though I didn't think that chick deserved to die. And like, I feel like something's happening. Granted, I don't know what it is, but it's like, okay, I do feel like this episode like got us more in some kind of direction that I don't know what it is, but... Mm. We're going somewhere, so I guess that gives you a half a point more than last week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, there's so much you said that I want to respond to. I'm sure Doug feels the same. But let's start with Landry, because... I agree. Yeah, killing Landry is such a waste of a character. It's really really disappointing. It's like, let's kill all the women of of color in power. Right. (laughs) Like, in the first four episodes. Right. It's like, we're setting up a world in which, you know, these women have, like, risen through the ranks and they have power and they're able to lead and, like, and I'm so excited about that world and then we just kill them. Yeah. And it's like, well, fuck. Yeah, it's really disappointing. Well, the first time I watched this, my favorite characters were Giorgio and Landry. And I'm like, God, what is happening? Why are you just <laughs> killing off the people that I connect to? Although my new favorite character in this episode, in his first appearance, Wilson Cruz, um, as mm-hmm. uh, oh, that's right. Dr. Oh, what's his name? I forgot. Uh, Culber. Culber. Thank you. Dr. Culber. He is incredible on this show. His screen presence mm-hmm. is sensational. He's like the best Starfleet doctor we've ever had. I love his uniform, mm-hmm. the white with like the the Starfleet Delta with the medical cross on it. It's so classy and I just I mm-hmm. love his character. And this is the first time we've seen him. Mm-hmm. And he's like the only character on the show now because you've killed off the two characters that I felt this way about. He's the only character that when I see him I'm like, "All oh, right, a character I like." The yeah. only character. Right. Although I do kind of like Lorca, I'm, I got to be real. Like Lorca's an interesting <laughs> character. Doug, what did you what did you think about like about? Saru. Oh, you like Saru too? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I like Saru in season two, but not in season one. Uh, Doug, what did you think about Landry? Um, give, give Landry getting killed. I did not like it. I think that was a huge misstep. I think that's a bad choice. Yeah. Um, I think that that, that well, like I said before, I didn't realize that there was as much of a divide between Lorca and the other members of the crew. And just from a storytelling element, having the person around who is on Lorca's side, um, it, it, um, 
morally and ethically and kind of bending the Starfleet rules seemingly in order to pursue the effort of the war. I think losing that as a character hurts what what's coming next, you know? Yes, um, I totally agree. So, yeah, I think it was, I think it was, it's that emphasis, overemphasis on surprise where it's like, okay, we need to do something shocking. We need to make, we need to wave a gun around the show and let everyone know we're not afraid to like shoot characters you love. And that to me is a misunderstanding of, of the power of uh, Game of Thrones in, in, in doing a fake out of like, here is the character that is traditionally the hero of the narrative killed three quarters of the way through the longer story, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So that does kind of put you on your toes, but discovery goes overboard where they're like, Hey, look at this person. Boom. Out of the airlock. Hey, look at this person. Phaser to the head, you know? Yeah. And, And on top of that, not only just doing that, but on top of that, it's always, to so far the characters of color that it's happening to exactly know? it's so and, disturbing and, spe- and women and specifically women right yeah. and it's 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 just it's just the, it's the biggest failure of discovery i think hmm. yeah especially because they touted this as the first I mean, and it is like it's you can't take it away from the show that it is led by a woman of color like she is right. the main character uh, there's but- this there's this insanity in creation of shows where there's a very valid critique of the way uh, the characters of color are sacrificed and and killed for entertainment or to move or motivate a white character. And now you have like these showrunners who are like, okay, well, look what we're going to do. We're going to have a woman of color at the head of the show. And we're literally not going to stop doing all of those other things. Right. Exactly. Like, okay. Yeah. What, are you, right. what kind of logic is that? Right. That's basically, yeah, that's, that's a better version of what I was about to say. <laughs> that makes more sense than what I was going to say <laughs> and has the same end result, which is that um, even if, you, you know, we got to move on from these tropes as a society. And yeah, on top of that, they've completely muddled who Michael Burnham is in these, in these last two episodes. Like, she has no... Well, she has, like, no personality that makes any sense. And I get it that she's, like, her Vulcan side fighting with her human side. On rewatch, I can see that. Right. But, like, watching this show for the first time, being introduced to this character for the first time, this is such a strange way of doing it. Yeah. I agree. You have, like, no footing to stand on to build story off of. You just, you, like, start in the middle of a story without having, like, really crucial character background information, which, for me personally, just does not work. It's why... There's, like, no reason to like her. Like, they haven't given us any reason to be on her side. Right. Right. And so it seems like they're almost killing off these stronger women to make her seem stronger and Mm. to be like, Mm. well, we can't have someone more likable than Michael, so we have to get rid of these other people (laughs) so that she's the strongest. But it's like, you're killing these people who, like are also making you not like Michael because the whole point was like, she went against, you know, what's her name and she died. And then like, yes, this other girl wasn't like super likable, but she didn't deserve to die that way. And it's like, right. you're trying to take away these, at least that's what it seems like to me. I'm trying to take away these characters that could overpower Michael, mm-hmm. but you're not doing anything to make Michael stand out. Like instead, why don't you just write her better and in a way that like, like if we saw more of her like Vulcan human sides conflicting and yes. that was a part of her that like we actually saw, I would root for her more because it's like, I can see your internal struggle. But right mm-hmm. now it just seems like you don't care about anybody 
you don't really even care about yourself and like you're just kind of here yeah it's like i like other like i like this freaking ripper bug thing <laughs> right now more than i like you because it's, <laughs> uh, there's a full character arc so far with this bug <laughs> and with these actual people yeah the one yeah. thing that i feel like they've done so far to make you care about michael is in this episode where they're like, oh, look, Michael thinks it's bad to torture a sentient being. You know what I mean? And that's like, okay, yeah, that's everyone else is weird for going along with this. But Michael still is just showing what I would consider to be like baseline humanity or baseline concern for Starfleet. And they only present it to you for you to basically have the discussion, it seems like, on your own time of what is the morality of torturing this creature to save these people in this mining colony. But they don't discuss it in the show, which is normally what Star Trek would do. Right. Mm -hmm. This time, it's just like, watch this one character seemingly grapple with that. Right. Yeah. And there's another easy fix for this, which is to have a ship's counselor that Michael can talk to about exactly what you just said. Yeah. Like that's right. the that's I mean that's what Star Trek's all about. Like let's yeah. sit down and talk about our feelings and to to have this character who needs that so that the audience can understand what they're doing and to not do it and expect the audience to get it, I feel like is is short-sighted on the part yeah, of the readers. Yeah. 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 And they continue with that. That happens through the rest of the season. Yeah. I I love Landry as a character. I I, mm-hmm. I recognize that she's kind of villainous, mm-hmm. but she's like like the bad guy that you want to root for because her performance is just amazing. I she's only in these two episodes, which is like such a fucking shame, but when I first saw her I was like, "Oh my god, this is a new character for Star Trek and I'm so stoked about getting to know this person and the fact that we don't get to is so disappointing yeah yeah i right away i was like oh i understand what landry's arc this season is going to be after two episodes especially this one i was like i see how it's going to happen and then like at the end she'll realize like okay there is such a thing as going too far (laughs) and then in season two we'll get more into like landry and like why is she this way kind of thing yeah Yeah. so yeah i mean it's funny i just keep thinking about what would happen in tng and i'm like in tng she would have sustained all those terrible injuries but then you know um crusher would have been able to bring her back you know like keep her in the isolation chamber for however long and da 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 and then she would have healed her and then like she would have come back being more cautious and more caring and you know like but also just the scene in which she dies seems oh, so, stupid. so weird. It's bizarre. There's no he plays that audio clip of the people in the mines right. which is also really um and I don't mean to be insensitive but I almost felt like it was comically over dramatized like it didn't actually sound like people in crisis hmm. it sounded right. like a like a soap opera in yeah crisis. like an interpret and the voices that would suddenly be louder and then quieter for no reason or like it didn't it didn't sound like a real yeah. um, a real thing happening and so it, it didn't have I think the emotional impact that it was supposed to to then motivate her to kind of totally lose all logic or sense of what might happen if she shocks it It, that there was just she seems like an incredibly smart um well-trained officer and to then have her suddenly do something so drastically uncharacteristic of that 
without any also emotional motivation that we could understand like okay does she have a loved one in that mind does she have right. do you know what is her personal connection to that to just suddenly be like I'm doing this and I'm gonna shot well we don't know what happens when you shot it I don't care release the bear I mean it just makes no right. sense and then why did she turn the lights up why it did it turn the greatest sensitive delight to light yeah to yeah. get it to go back into the dark I see, corner. I see, I see. But yeah, I mean, Land- that scene where Landry opens the containment field and wants to, like, cut off the toe of this creature, she, like, sedates it and then doesn't even check if it's sedated and just opens the fucking, like, force yeah. field. I'm like, this is just dumb. No, it just doesn't make any sense. This, yeah. this is at the same level of, of Tasha Yar death by a sludge creature where it's just <laughs> it's 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 not as bad nothing will be as bad as that <laughs> but it's oh, interesting it, it's right up there because it's mm. this sudden pointless death out of the blue yeah that doesn't happen for any good reason yeah. you know yeah i well okay i i'm not i don't hate tasha's death i know a lot of people do i feel mm. like tasha's death was like they they examined it, you know, like they spent time talking about, oh my god, this was so sudden and so pointless, and that sucks so much. And that's, you right. know, there's a lesson in that to be learned. Mm. Whereas this was like, the writers are saying, okay, well, we need to kill this character for no reason. Let's do it in the grossest way possible to, to surprise as many viewers as possible. And there doesn't seem to be any, like, reason beyond that or any, like, emotional exploration of that or humanity exploration of that. It just happens mm. to be shocking. Yeah, or like Sarah says, it, it, it dulls these other lights so that now, yeah. you know, the, the, the as so far dull light of Michael Burnham will shine bright for the audience. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and this and also, I didn't, it, oh, Sorry, go ahead, Sarah. Oh, no, it's fine. Uh, Uh-oh, did we lose yeah, it? I was just going to say, I... <laughs> uh, this is going to be a great episode of the podcast. I also didn't think she was dead at first. Like, oh. yes, she got, like, chewed oh. up by the thing but i was yeah. like oh maybe you know i was like but then when they're like oh well her death won't go today and i was like oh she, yeah she's dead yeah, like, yeah. Her dirty <laughs> like yeah. but i really thought maybe she'll make it but like yeah i guess those were pretty bad cuts yeah i totally thought the same thing but, the first time sorry, like star starfleet medicine is gonna fix these wounds but it didn't work out yeah and sarah you also brought up ripper like did they use ripper to to power the Oh, yeah. The spore drive? The answer is yes, basically. And it makes next to no sense. But they're basically saying... I mean, this is what they literally say. And let's talk about this, because I don't know if I'm understanding this right. They're saying that this creature uh, has a star map of the entire galaxy in its brain. So, yeah. So, that's what they said happened with the tardigrade. But, like, what does that mean? Is, is that the impression other people got, that this thing has the entire star map of the galaxy in its head and they just tapped into that somehow? Yeah, I take it that the, the, the tardigrade acts as the navigator through the mycelium network. And unlike a normal navigator that sits at a ship and pushes button, this one they lock in a steel cage and then stick, you know, pokers into its tits and say, steer us towards the nearest star, and if you do a good job, we'll feed you some mushroom spores. Yeah, unfortunately, that's exactly what happens. But yeah. that makes no sense. That makes no sense to me. I'd say the science behind it is a little weak. A little? What's <laughs> but it also, But to me, that doesn't matter. Like, yeah. I just take it as a given, like, oh, there's this thing, and it's like mushroom subspace, and then there's this creature that must live in it, 
and then will pop into our universe if it smells mushrooms. So it's like a giant space truffle pig. And, you know, also what it can do is that it, it can navigate around through its particular mushroom space that happens to map towards our larger galaxy. Fine. Star Trek wants to do that. Great. Yeah. It's, they, it's done. It's done weirder. So. So it, uh, has it, it? I don't know if it has. This is really I, weird. Do we need to go over the mushroom scale of Star Trek weirdness again? I know that your mushroom scale is with Q, but mine is with the fucking spore drive. Like my mushroom. What about transporters? Transporters are fucking strange mystery. Yeah, sure. But like transporters are and like warp drive and all the stuff that they have on the show. Mm-hmm. They they talk about it in a way that makes some sense like we've learned in the future to to turn like the energy and matter can be uh like one can be turned into the other and then back again like we can change the state of matter into energy and then back to matter like how small how small is your thinking i'm talking about biology as physics (laughs) (laughs) doug you're making my threat ganglia stand up (laughs) (laughs) no what was was that was paul stamets right yeah yeah yeah. yeah, no totally yeah Yeah, but like physics but to me like star trek generally tries to connect the dots even if it is like space magic like q saying you know we just have technology far beyond yours that you can't possibly comprehend and that's mm-hmm. why I'm a space wizard. Whereas this is just like, oh my god, the universe has mushrooms all across it and creatures that swim in it, and then it, they come out and you can grab them and and navigate with them. And like, right? That you know what I'm, you know what I'm hearing, Jesse? What? You're having a hard time with technology that you can't understand. <laughs> well, my, my the point I'm trying to make is that this is a different type of show. Like Star yes. Trek is a science fiction show. This is science fantasy. Like this is like. Absolutely. It's something else. And I don't like mixing science fantasy into my Star Trek. And I know mm-hmm. that Doug, I know Doug that you feel that Star Trek has always been science fantasy. Correct. But but I don't feel that way and I feel like they try to connect the dots and try to expand your mind through like looking at science in a different way and what science right. could be capable of in the future. And this is just like let's have an adventure with a space magical manatee <laughs> creature, you know, it's a very different. But where we both agree, where I think all of us agree, is regardless of whether or not you think space fantasy is good or bad or belongs in Star Trek or doesn't, to me, the the more important issue is how do they portray it within the story? Does it make its own sense within within that world? The answer to that is no. (laughs) No, it doesn't make sense. Right. I feel like this is another thing where now that I'm watching it the second time, I'm like, oh, okay, I get what they're doing with the with the ripper and the mushroom stuff and what the motivations for all that were and where it comes from all of that made zero sense to me the first time through not at all now i'm realizing it's closer to like the spacing guild in dune where you've got these giant weird you know worms that eat space drugs and then get so high they can be like i'm gonna transport you from here to here in a second yeah you know Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do in the desert? <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I think that a point that they didn't really make in this episode that they were trying to make is that this tardigrade lives in the mycelial network. Like it is a creature of the mycelial network. Is that right? Yes. And that it popped it, into our space because it sensed the spore drive, uh, spore drive of the Landry. The spores themselves, the mushrooms yeah. that they yes. had in containers. Not the Landry. I'm sorry. The, the Glen. <laughs> <laughs> you know what weird. though? I will sign your petition. I think that we should rename a ship the the, the SS Landry. Yes, absolutely. I think there might, probably has been a Landry in Star Trek history. Uh, yeah, like this just doesn't 
thematically, story-wise, science fiction-wise, none of this holds water for me, and it really annoys me. And I, like, this time watching, I was like, I understood it this time. The whole first season, I'm like, I don't get this. I don't understand right. this. This time I understood it. And Didn't I was help. thinking to myself, like, do I understand this because it makes sense? Or do I understand this because I've lived with this long enough that I now remember that this is what happened? And it's so interesting that, like, remembering something can help you understand it even though you don't understand it. Like, I feel sure. like I understand this, but I fucking don't because it doesn't make sense. It is un ununderstandable, if that's even a word. It's um, like Daryl Hannah and Splash where you have just watched hours of TV and now you can suddenly speak English with zero context for anything that you've been consuming. Well, mermaids have higher cognitive function than humans, obviously. <laughs> well, I, wait, there's a point that I'm... It's, I have a question about. Yeah, yeah. So... Does the tardigrade? Yes. Does so? She was talking about how it that there's similar species on Earth that exist microscopically, right? Yes, water bears. And and is the idea that the tardigrade exists microscopically as well when it's within the mycelial network? This my, and then it huh. gets big so that it can. I think that there is no idea. I literally think that this is another thing that's just a throwaway. Like, I, I love... I mean, tardigrades are fascinating creatures. And something that I've, like... Like, the first time I heard about them, I'm like, wow, that's fucking fascinating. So interesting. And the idea of, of having a giant tardigrade be a part of Star Trek is so interesting. But, like, the connection between Earth and the mycelial network... Yeah. A creature that lives on Earth and then a creature that lives in the mycelial network... And the mycelial network being across the entire galaxy, but there's an Earth creature that lives in it. Like, there's no, there's no logic in this. I don't get it. Yeah, me neither. So the answer is I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> but I wanted to bring that point up, and thank you for bringing it up, Andy. Um, yeah, so, okay, what else have we missed in this episode? I liked the very beginning with the replicator lightning oh, storm. Oh yeah, that was so. Oh, that cool. was very cool. I yeah. thought that, I got was, that. I'm like, what yeah. is this? It's also it's like one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Trek now, and yeah. it's a shame that, that it's in this episode that I think has a lot of flaws in it. <laughs> yeah, but it's I, I still can really really appreciate, along with just like the theme song and the opening yeah it's credit beautiful. sequence, yeah. which we haven't talked about. But every time I watch it, I'm like, oh. This is such a loving, yeah. well done opening credit sequence. It's fantastic. It just like bleeds Star Trek. It's mm -hmm. really great. It's so good. And yeah, like this, I forgot what what that was when we were watching. I'm like, are we in the Badlands? Where are we? Right, 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 right. I told Jesse it's, Jessie, it's yeah. what happens when you rub your feet on the carpet really fast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, what is this? And that's what Andy said. Um, but then when you zoom out and realize that you're inside of the replication yeah. process for the first yeah. time in Star Trek history. Seeing like sub molecular lightning yeah. bullshit, yeah. It's cool. which again is like great. there's some there's some space magic right there, and we're in the heart of it. Yeah, totally. And they I do mean, this a couple of times in Discovery, also camera wise, where they'll zoom in through mm, an energy field, and right. then we'll hear it crackle as we pass through it. Yeah, in this episode, we like zoomed onto the bridge through like the bridge glass or whatever it is that separates the outside from the inside yeah uh, like during the battle i mean i thought the battle scene was extremely well produced from a visual standpoint and mm -hmm. like the ship just popping in out of the mycelial network even though i think that's nonsense i do think it's really exciting to like pop into a battle and then just like turn the tide of the battle with this brilliant strategy mm -hmm. with this like sort of like warmongering psychotic captain in his moment of like 
uh, just kind of living in resonance with himself in that moment. It's really, mm-hmm. I thought that was like really compelling television and really exciting. I and mean, they'd kind of break it with that scene after where like they come out of the mind like, who saved us? Like, like Andy was saying before. But, but the whole like action beat there I thought was really thrilling. Yeah. Yeah. I, they're, I, uh, <laughs> I just I'm also thinking of the dialogue here's the thing actually I sometimes struggle with with the dialogue is that I actually appreciated I appreciate the heightened dialogue and I like that about Star Trek but it does that heightened dialogue and then it'll instantly switch into very casual contemporary sounding dialogue right. and it fluctuates between the two so much that it's like like when Tilly's talking and suddenly she's like I don't know why this stood out to me, but I just felt like I needed to bring it up. Tilly's talking to Michael, and she's saying, um, she's basically trying to convince her that she should open the uh, will. Right. And she says, well, my mother used to say, well, actually, no, my mother never said that. I know, it's She only ever criticized my hair. Yeah. But I just think, da-da-da-da-da, and I... And I'm like, you didn't even finish the thing you pretended that your mom yeah. used to say. What were you going to say? I don't know. <laughs> that just really bothered me. I, yeah, like that. that is, I mean, sure, it's like how people talk sometimes in the real world. And like if you're listening to a podcast and someone talks like that, that's to be expected. But on a scripted television show, it's really jarring. It, like on a show where it's like heightened language the rest of the time, it's really jarring. And I feel like, Andy, you made a good point where like if she was like a kind of Luna Lovegood type where like if her Mm -hmm. character was stronger in like any direction yeah you wouldn't mind it because if that was something she constantly did yeah you just be like oh chilly (laughs) but it's like what are you like every time you talk it's slightly different and i don't know what you're talking about and you don't know what you're talking about and you (laughs) never get to any point i just don't i i understand now what you guys are talking about the other episode because I'm like I don't know her well enough and now I'm like I don't know if I want to because you're not really giving me anything besides yeah and yeah I mean I have plenty of friends and I myself have some of these mannerisms that Tilly might have and can like empathize and recognize some of that but but I don't feel like it's like presented authentically exactly so it doesn't quite work for me yeah I agree with you yeah I do think this is something that was valid criticisms that Discovery got when it first came out, but that also got often caught up in a lot of just like reactionary uh, nonsense to to these changes. But the likability of uh, Burnham and the likability of Tilly, I think, take a while to build. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's intentional, but I don't think they do it. It's not handled well enough to kind of offset the idea of you being asked to sympathize with unlikable characters while also doing this thing of of killing off compelling and likable characters it's a yeah it's a strange thing and it it evens out later but it doesn't excuse that it's happening at all yeah, yeah that's a great point because i it's funny when we started watching this again i remember really liking tilly that's actually mm. why i keep bringing her up because mm-hmm. my memory is that i liked her and i thought she was a good comic relief and she was interesting and complex but my experience with her so far on the show is like i don't i don't really like her at all <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah i think maybe yeah you're right maybe we just get there and i don't 
don't remember how we get there. I, th- I think so. And I think the same thing happens with, to me, it happens with Burnham as well. Sure. And then yeah. as the switch happens with Burnham, though, the new critique that's looming on the horizon is that Burnham represents a Mary Sue character where she just always can do whatever is needed in the moment of crisis huh. to solve all the problems. Yeah. We, this is like, we have a glimpse of it here where she kind <laughs> yeah. of intuits this like, oh, let's hook this creature up to these things, you know? Yeah. But they, I think that that, you know, we'll see it when we come to it. I think it comes by, honestly, when they do have it, that Burnham is eventually a very hyper competent and likable character a complex character mm-hmm. but it's it's a it's a rough patch yeah. <laughs> as they figure it out yeah Which that's a burnham? The, the michael burnham the the main, main woman character. oh that's oh that's her last name oh okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um doug that's a great point that's something i wanted to bring up I was imagining to myself, because like Data is this character on Next Generation who always connects the dots. And if Data had connected those dots and said, oh, I think that this creature is the navigator mm-hmm. of the mycelial network, I would have been like, Data, you have short-circuited. Like that, <laughs> that makes, there's like no logical yeah. line there. And that scene really bothers me when Burnham puts it together. Because I'm like, you didn't put anything together. The writers just wrote this. Like th- <laughs> this is not a human thinking something through. This is yeah. just a writer advancing a story and it and in a completely inorganic way. Mm. Right. I do like, I think that they didn't play it up enough, but I did like it. And I, I really think it's intentional. Um, I may be misreading in or taking more in than I want, but there's a line in here about, uh, I think Michael says it about Ripper of like, we can't judge this creature based on one action. Yeah. Like we, we, right. You know? And I was like, Oh, this should be shown to us as like, Michael is bonding or feeling like, hey, here's this creature that everyone hates, right. that they think is a murderous, dangerous thing. I wonder who that reminds the audience of, you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah, you're That right. is interesting. They I did like that. They don't play into that as much, though. The thing is, they set it up and then they kind of don't, they don't totally follow through with that. Right. Yeah, also, can we, can I speculate here? I, now that she's gone, RIP, uh, Landry, oh. I felt like in an earlier episode that they gave this hint that, like, Landry and Lorca were doinking. Oh, yeah, yeah sure. And yeah. that I'm really saddened that that didn't get to be explored. Yeah, their relationship <laughs> was so interesting because you had this captain who's, like, I mean, you've, we've never seen a warmongering Star Trek captain before. Mm-hmm. And then he has this loyal tactical officer who's just like thinks of him as like this brilliant military commander and you're right Doug that like that is such great character development for Lorca um to lose that so early is just ridiculous yeah um yeah although we did meet Ad- Admiral Cornwell in this episode yes <laughs> so I love Admiral Cornwell she's another great character yeah um we'll get more of her yeah for sure oh yeah that's right yeah oh man I just forgot what I was gonna say damn oh well it was really important. Oh, I remember. <laughs> um, I I want to talk about the will because, like, the will beeping for Michael to like accept it <laughs> just seemed like a weird plot contrivance. Like, it's like that's something straight out of Harry Potter. You know, like your, your mail <laughs> bothers you until you open it. Um, just it just seemed like a plot contrivance so that Michael could like put it off till the end of the episode so you could have this emotional moment with Captain Giorgio and to me it just all of that fell completely flat and mm-hmm. I felt no emotional connection all I feel is mad that they've gotten rid of this character that I loved and like here's just this lame reminder that we don't get this great character and I get what they're trying to do with it I get that they're trying to you know 
further develop this mother-daughter relationship that Michael and Giorgio had that we didn't really get a sense of in the first two episodes. Um, and to kind of like drive home this guilt that Michael feels about being re- involved in the death of her mentor and captain. But it just, but it just, I don't know. It just doesn't touch me emotionally at all. I just like get bored in that moment. Am I just a heartless bastard or is just, I just feel like the writing is not captivating. I, I mean, I didn't even notice the whole telescope she had (laughs) so i feel like i don't think you're wrong or like heartless i do agree that like it's just the way it was formatted and maybe that's again like either like stakes or like pacing or like how the verbiage is like because it was kind of casual again like Mm. casual uh why can't I remember what I was saying? Me, you know what I mean? And, like, so it just seemed like... It's, like, her thing was, like, nice, but we just didn't get enough character development from them. Yeah. And I also thought, like, Michael... I don't know. It just... The whole... It just seemed underwhelming. And her, it was, like, this yeah. whole thing just needs to be heightened. And then maybe I would have bought it a little more. Or maybe or, I would have yeah. paid yeah. better attention. Or, like, weirdly less heightened. Like, it seemed so formal. Like, everything Giorgio was saying was so composed. And I do that think that she was a composed woman, but I I imagine if she was leaving a will to somebody that felt like her daughter, it would feel more... It felt like she was speaking from a script. And I think I would have liked it if it had felt more conversational from mm. her because we see Giorgio in, mm-hmm. in, as a very formal person. And so I think the contrast of her being more personable and yeah. more warm in that one moment would be interesting. And also Michael's response, which I know also plays into her Vulcan human thing, but was, was nothing. I mean, it was just, yeah. she just kind of stood there and watched it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of infuriating, like to not understand what Michael's thinking. Well, that's so often. yeah, and I think that's right. When Sarah, when you were saying everything is said with the same tone, I don't know what to feel about it. It also, to me, is like I don't know what these characters feel about what they're saying. Yeah. So I have a thought about that that occurred to me earlier when Sarah was talking about this, and it's something that I've been, I feel like, kind of grasping without being able to put into words until uh, Sarah talking earlier about what are we supposed to do and how are we supposed to kind of connect with, with Michael Burnham and, and her very monotone delivery for everything. Yeah. I feel like that as an actor and I forget her name, Sonequa Martin um, Green. Green. I think that it's facially is what, where she's doing all of her work now um, at this point in her character. And some of it might be me reading into it, knowing I just, a lot of the motivations to me f- make more sense now knowing what I know in the future. Sure. Um, but I feel that as an actor, she's trying to portray that through facial expressions. Hmm. Um, and I don't think it's a failing of her as an actor. I think that they're yeah. not setting it up enough. I agree. And yeah. that the director's not doing enough to feature it. I sure. totally but agree. I think, I think if you go forward knowing, like, there are motivations for what Michael is doing, and they are they do make emotional sense. And if you can kind of try to read it on her face, yeah, you know, I, I think that it does work. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's, I, it's, that's one of the elements that to me on the rewatch is, is more, it stands out more, you know? Yeah. that's. Yeah, a, I, I might look out for that in the next episode, just trying to really look at her face and see the story she's telling there, even if it's doesn't align with the vocal performance. Yeah. I was just thinking about the scene 
between her and Saru when she's trying to like study the tardigrade and she basically like compliments Saru right um just to see if his threat ganglia go up around Ripper right um, and I I hate that scene because <laughs> it's like I I want to like Saru in these first few episodes but I just don't I feel like he's just like some, something about his attitude strikes me the wrong way and then I really want to like Michael and I really liked her in the first two episodes but like in the second two I just really don't like her um, because I don't because like, like we've talked about the show's not giving you a reason to and then you have two people that I don't like one of them like man- being mean to the other like manipulating the other and then the other reacting in this like shitty way about it I'm like this sucks like this is not fun to watch I don't like this you know like that that scene is is my least favorite of this episode it's like all the problems of the episode coalesce around that scene to me <laughs> yeah well and i didn't understand what the point of it was the idea is that saru has these little phalanges the ganglia that come out of his neck when he feels threatened or um yeah. one of the difficulties is the show treats it almost in in, in as magic at times and then very realistic at others yeah you know where depending on how the writers are using it the implication is that saru can like almost telepathically sense if something is or is not danger versus it just being a like oh i heard a loud noise you know or this person who otherwise seems normal is 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 actually acting in a suspicious way you know so the idea here is that Michael Burnham is trying to prove that Ripper is not a violent creature unless threatened. So if Saru's ganglia don't flange out, then that means that Ripper is calm and not a threat. But if his things did pop out, then that would mean that Ripper actually was a predatory animal. Yeah, and I haven't given much thought to how the ganglia work, but now that I'm thinking about it, it doesn't it also doesn't make any sense. Like he senses the coming of death is what he keeps saying. Um, it's, yeah, but it's like space when the, magic. <laughs> but when the, like when the other prisoners leave at the end of the last episode and he and his ganglia come out, the implication is that, oh, Michael stayed behind and that's why he has this threat sense. And like yeah, the beginning of this episode, <laughs> when he sees Michael, they pop out because he has this threat sense. Like Michael is right. like the Grim Reaper in some way. Right. But then they go into battle where Klingons are dying all over the place and they, they should it's just fine. be out the whole time, but they're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. It's 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 an infuriating thing that it's like, oh, the more you think about it, the slipperier it gets. Mm-hmm. For me, yeah. what I've just taken it is like, whatever. They just do what they do and then when they come out he just is nervous about something. You yeah, know? and I mean I really like I really like Saru's storyline in season two, like a hell of a lot. And a lot of this starts to make a little bit more sense um, when thought about through the context of like, this is how Saru feels about the world around him. Like maybe Mm -hmm. he has like some sort of telepathic sense that Michael is still on the ship and like has this like moment of dread personally. It's it's not that like death is coming. It's that he senses like his own personal death coming or what not like not that michael's gonna kill him but you know that that he looks at michael as this grim reaper and like there's some sense of her that he is having and like you know telepathy is common in star trek and yes that is space magic but it makes a certain amount of sense you know well there's also a level of precognition of like i can sense a danger coming in the future right that's the point that i get stuck on because like 
if every time his threat ganglia go up, shouldn't we just completely change the plan that we're doing because someone's about to die? You know, like right, yeah. yeah. Everyone should pay attention to it. Everyone should treat it as like, hey, listen, we got a guy who can low key detect the future. So, right. Like, if you're gonna die in the next five minutes, this is the only person you want to be hanging <laughs> out with. Like, it's weird. He kind of serves as similar function to Troy in one way, yeah. which is just being able to sense not the intentions exactly, but sort of, yeah, right. of, of other creatures and yeah. yep. people. Yeah, well, shall we rate this episode? Yeah. I know Sarah's already put in, what was it, a five, five and five a half? Five and a half. Yeah. Yeah, Doug, what do you think? I don't know, man. I've been torn. I keep bouncing between a six or a seven with this one. Um, and so I guess I'll just go six and a half like, since yeah. I can't settle on it that's fairly because, high still well I mean I, you know I like Discovery and yeah. I, I do I, I, you know I have my criticisms about how this episode is was done and sort of the general structural flaws that go throughout the first season of Discovery but you know when I was watching this the first time I was still super invested in learning more about what was going on and by this point in time of the show i had felt uh sympathy towards michael as a character i i did want to follow that more i was uh, i'd say compelled and repulsed by character so it's that like oh it's an itch that i should not scratch but i really do want to know like what's the deal with this dude and i had sort of started to talk about it earlier like i really liked the Klingon storyline mm. that they were building. And it's unfortunate that they like, this is pretty much as deep as it goes with all of the Klingon house political stuff. And it doesn't, they don't explore it anymore, but I, I want, I like, I wanted, yeah, like warring houses of the Klingon empire, totally all this kind of stuff. Um, and, and uh, yeah, we don't get more of that, but I still, I still really like the cutting away to the Klingons and, and uh yeah that that whole interaction is only enhanced for me that whole storyline is only enhanced for me now knowing where it goes even though it doesn't go in the direction i want and i think the, the so much of discovery is me being uh, at, at times thrilled by what they do and then frustrated by the directions that i wish they had taken instead mm. yeah <laughs> what about you andy yeah, I think I'm at a five for this one again too. I think similar to last week, there are there are pieces of it and moments of it that I do enjoy or I'm more curious about, um, like the tardigrade or like um, you know uh, miles. Miles. Uh, like yeah, I guess the Klingon storyline. Although I really would love. You know what I would love more of, and as Sarah, as you were talking about, just not understanding, like, kind of what we were all talking about, but just what is what is the deal with the Klingons, and why are they instigating this war, and what what threat are they sensing? Like, that's something I really crave is more history of how the Klingons, why they are so motivated. I know that they don't want to be diluted or integrated into, you know, this multicultural. Uh, existence that Starfleet promotes, but I feel like if there was some memory or or depiction of a past where the that integration or that type of you know um, yeah that type of dilution that they are worried about um, 
happened in a way that we could sympathize with and be like, oh, I could see why they're so motivated to do that. Yeah. I would be more interested. Anyway, that's a tangent. So anyway, <laughs> but then, yeah, I'm really frustrated with some of the other things, especially just not being able to keep up with what everybody is saying. So yeah, I think it's a five. I think it's a five. I think it's a five for me yeah. again this week. Yeah. Yeah, I'm also like pulled in very conflicting directions in this episode because the stuff that I like, I really like. I mean, there's some really wonderful moments. I love the, I do love that whole theme of like this creature seems to be a predator, but let's try to examine it to find out if it is. And I don't think it is a predator. I think that it's just reacting. Like trying to understand something that you can't speak to is such a powerful story and yeah. like ET and so much of Star Trek. So that's something that I really like, and I love that Michael's standing up for that. But then it's like so deflated by, you know, Landry being killed in this ridiculous way and like Michael and Saru having this horrible conversation that makes me not like Michael as, uh, anymore. And like, you know, like they almost make me like her a little bit and then they pull it away. And it's like, give me something that I like and that I can hold on to and sink my teeth in. Um, like the Klingon stuff, I actually kind of like in this episode. It's really confusing. But on rewatch, I liked it more than the first time because I, you know, I've become more interested in these two characters than I was when I saw this the first time. Like Lorel, I think, is a really fascinating character, and this is really like the beginning of her being featured. And like her, she has like obvious sexual tension with Voke, and it's like, what is happening with these two Klingons? It's you know, it's it's a little tantalizing as far as getting more story there. I'm really into that battle scene like i said before i'm really fascinated with Lorca in this episode i think jason isaacs does an incredible job performing Lorca. Mm -hmm. you know say what you will about how that character is written but i think that Lorca at times is extremely compelling and mm -hmm. as a starfleet captain very confusing it's like why is he such a warmongering asshole but it's also like he's kind of like compelling and i kind of want to know what he does next um, I love the introdu introduction of Dr. Colbert. We get to see Doc or Admiral Cornwell. So there's a lot that I really like here. Um, I think I'm going to give it a five and a half because the stuff that I don't like is like a zero. The stuff that I do like is really high. And it just kind of like how it's like a weird, you know, ratio. I'm trying to figure out what's the ratio of what I do and don't <laughs> like in this episode. And I think I'm somewhere around the middle, maybe slightly above the middle. So like five and a half. That's where I'm going to go. Boom. Boom. Cool. We did it. We did it. Sarah, are you still with us? I am. Yeah. Yay! Um, Sarah, I have to say one more huge thank you. The last time I saw Sarah, she came and socially, safely, <laughs> distantly performed for the second episode of Mercury Rising. The last time Ooh. I saw Sarah, she was dressed as a fox, and she did a, like, the animal. And she did a fantastic job. So funny. That episode's now out on YouTube, um, and I'm really excited with how it came out. And I really appreciate you being a part of it, Sarah. And Andy also did voices for it, and she did an incredible job. She's so funny. Ah, thanks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I highly recommend watching it, not just because we're all in it, but Jesse's brilliant brain. <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> like, it's, it's so funny, and I know I'm biased, but I say go watch it. Well, I really appreciate that. Doug, why weren't you in it? I didn't see you in it. Yeah, what the heck? I was uh, overbooked, and um, <laughs> according to my agent, you weren't willing to meet the you know, minimum fee level for an appearance. So. That sounds right. Sure. That sounds right. Yeah. I mean, even at the friend price, that would not have been worth my time. <laughs> uh, well, 
we've successfully talked about another episode of Star Trek. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. I don't remember what's next, but it's probably mediocre. No. <laughs> yeah, I keep forgetting like what happens when. Yeah. I, I am still really enjoying this. Like, I didn't want to. We watched this this morning. I didn't want to watch it last night because I'm like, I'm stressed. I want to relax. Let's watch. Let's watch Tim Gunn and Heidi Klum and making the cut. <laughs> uh, but it's like getting up in the morning and watching some Star Trek is always good, even yeah. if it's my least favorite season of Star Trek. Which this is pretty high up on the list of least favorite seasons of Star Trek. Overall. Wild man, wild. It's still probably my. <laughs> top three top wow, four that's crazy but i yeah. love like season three of enterprise is in my top three or top four and people think oh, i'm crazy for that no season three of enterprise might be my first favorite season nice uh yeah and then discovery season two and picard season one are like the other top three contenders nice well it's been a long road getting from there to here <laughs> <laughs> It's been a long it was a time, good thing but this I podcast had. ending is finally near. <laughs> anyway, I can see my dream come alive at last. Well, <laughs> I will touch the, the sky. sky. <laughs> I'm not gonna change my mind. Don't know. No, I'm not gonna, not change, gonna my change my mind. Why? I've got faith. <laughs> Where? Yeah. No one's gonna bend or break me. No, they won't. <laughs> I like that change to Jesse and Doug singing. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, we'll sing the, that song at the end of it. Yeah, episode. there you go. We'll just, we'll All right, guys. Riff. This was awesome. <laughs> Always a pleasure to talk to you guys. It was it was sad not to see your faces this time. Mm. We just had to do audio only because of our technical issues, but still good. Yeah. Not as good, but still good. Still good. Yeah. <laughs> and listeners, thank you for being here. We appreciate you very much. Until next time, stay nerdy out there. Bye-bye. Space Nerds is listener-funded through Patreon. To support the show and gain access to bonus content, sign up at patreon.com slash spacenerdspodcast. If you love this show, help us spread the word by sharing it on your favorite social media platform or leaving us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you can find our show. If you have a question or comment you'd like the Space Nerds to discuss in the next episode, email us at spacenerdspodcast at gmail.com. To browse our complete library of episodes or check out my sci-fi synth-pop music and music videos, visit my website at jessemercury.com. Keep it spacey, baby!